I'm Bruce Kassman from J.P. Morgan's global economics team, and you're listening to At Any Rate, our global research podcast where we take a look at the story behind some of the biggest trends, themes, and industry in markets today. I'm joined by Malcolm Barr, Greg Fuzesi, and Alan Monks to talk about Europe in response to what the COVID-19 crisis is doing, and particularly to focus on the policy responses, which we got this week from the Bank of England and most recently from the ECB. So let's just start with the issue really on our minds right now, which is what is going on in the global economy. Uh, We've laid out a a global view which basically says we're going to have a rolling set of contractions here in the world. It started in China uh, and it's now hitting very much Western Europe, the key issue here being the uh, fear and the social distancing policies around the a virus. And the question is, how deep is this going to be? How long is it going to last? And what kind of risks are there that it spirals into something else? So let's, let's start, Malcolm. And I, and I thought it would be probably good to say that it's nice to be talking to you about something other than Brexit, but I'm not so sure it is that nice right now. Um, but getting away from Brexit and talking to you about Western European economies, COVID-19, what the heck's going on there? Well, I'd be lying if I said to you that we really certainly know. Um, I mean, we can certainly try and get our hands around what's going on on the ground. Um, but what we, we don't have a lot of is, is a lot of metrics to try and calibrate what we're seeing. Uh, and, you know, I think there's, there's no shortage of head scratching and, and just trying to, you know, come up with, with perspectives to sort of try and get a handle on calibrating this. Um, where where we are at the moment is is after a succession of downward revisions we we basically have a financial crisis like pothole in the forecast uh with activity in the region as a whole hitting a low uh in in april uh probably doing that earlier in italy uh and then bouncing thereafter but you know there are a whole heap of questions here about uh, the you know the the depth <clears throat> of the pothole uh, and the speed at which we come out of it. Well, let me let me kind of probe you here. We we have now a forecast which you guys changed earlier in the week. Um, you know, close to minus two percent on GDP in the first quarter and over minus three percent in the second quarter. Is it appropriate to say the euro is now in a recession? Well, we're going to get drawn here into what do you mean by recession? I mean, certainly there are various numerical definitions and, uh, we, you know, we're well over the two quarters of contraction, if, if that's how you want to define it. Um, but when we talk about recession, I think we're, we're typically talking about something more meaningful than that, not just numbers. We're, we're really talking about a big behavioral, behavioral adjustment uh, across sectors uh, and, and with some longevity. Um, and I have to be honest and say, I, I'm not certain that that's really the right way to look at this. Yes, there is a big behavioral event taking place, but, you know, it, it, it isn't really uh, any kind of byproduct of economic forces directly. Uh, and as a result, I'm a little bit reluctant to characterize it in those terms. Well, let me I just think- let me just jump in there. You're you're reluctant. And I think I can see why, especially if it's a concentrated event that is only going to hit us really in late February through early mid-April. But what's the, what's the thing you worry most about here as we go through this that, that actually could turn it into something um, that you would be uh, justifyingly calling it a recession? And, and obviously, I think what you're saying in terms of the recession dynamic is you don't see the, 
the spillovers to labor market. You don't sp- see the spillovers to behavioral things um, beyond the narrowly hit hit sectors. What would it be that would you be watching? Is there anything we can look at in the next few weeks that would get you to shift into that kind of mode? Well, uh, I'm going to retreat into what Economics 101 tells me here, which is all the work you ever read when you're an economics student about consumption smoothing and how you set your consumption plans over time. You know, when you have a hit to your income in the short run, you smooth through it. And in order to smooth through it, you need to be able to borrow. And that's really the key thing here. It is to what extent are we going to get policy interventions that mean that firms can smooth? We do not want to see firms starting to slash medium-term investment plans and slash headcount on the basis of what really ultimately should be a temporary restriction of demand. So that, that's what we worry about most. I, I think that things in the space of confidence and behavior, if we can get to the other side of, of this um, virus outbreak and start to feel that uh, behavior is normalizing, I, I think you can... You can deal with the sentiment side of this, but you can't necessarily uh, deal with broken credit channels. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, really it's up to governments and central banks to give the private sector the ability to smooth, even if that means that they've got to take on some debt here. So let's let's turn to that. There's a, a lot going on in the policy space this week. And let's just sort of start by putting a little frame on that. You know, one of the things I think we can say is you've got to a demand shock, and there's some role of policy to try to uh, provide an offset to that demand shock. Uh, another point is we've got targeted uh, issues in credit, targeted issues uh, in terms of um, actual uh, functioning of, of markets. Um, and you, uh, I think you also have a credibility issue here in a world in which central bankers are somewhat limited uh, and fiscal policy, particularly in Europe, is not very well coordinated. So I think if we kind of put all of that together and then we look at what we've gotten this week, we look at what the Fed's doing, we see something really interesting in different differential responses. Right now, the U.S. government is trying to um, put together a response, but most of what we're getting so far is a very big rate cut from the Fed, one we think is going to turn into 150 basis points of easing. Uh, what we're getting in in the Bank of England is, is quite different, uh, at least quite different in the sense of a more mixed and more coordinated with both rate cuts. Uh, we're seeing uh, countercyclical capital buffers being reduced. We're seeing uh, targeted lending schemes. And then we got the ECB up this morning and where it's most fresh and perhaps in some ways most important to read what's going on there. Uh, Greg, how do you evaluate what you saw in an ECB that did some stuff here but refrained from actually lowering uh, interest rates this morning? Yeah, I mean, the the press conference only finished a few minutes ago, so I'm still digesting to some extent. Um, but my my response at the moment would be that overall, it it is disappointing um, because you uh, you had a, a an ECB that focused pretty firmly on targeted measures, um, so still taking the view that this is mainly a transitory event that uh, you know is is affecting. Uh, supply chains and causing other disruptions, including on on demand, but is is mainly a, a, a something that calls for targeted measures. So they focused on uh, raising uh, uh, QE purchases uh, for a period of time, basically by about ten billion per month for until the end of this year. Um, 
they fiddled around with the TLTRO terms. Now, I don't want to downplay that, um, but overall, they they should also have cut rates. If you look at their macro forecasts, which uh, Lagarde uh, admitted were stale because they they um, don't really reflect the current crisis due to the cutoff date, um, they did reduce their core inflation projection in 2022 by another tenth uh, to 1.5%. Um, so there is clearly an inflation problem in in the background. Um, and why didn't they then cut rates? Now, on the interest rate side, the Could I just the jump in there a second, Greg? Yeah. What's, what struck me beyond the fact that they didn't cut rates is the way Lagarde basically kept avoiding the issue of whether they'd consider cutting rates at the press conference. You really yeah. did, did not even want to bring up the topic of any kind of conditions under which they would consider cutting rates. Does this, does this mean that the ECB basically will not cut rates unless we have something – that Malcolm is is not forecasting, but is very you know is worried about that really break out into a, a full scale recession dynamic in Europe. Well, it, I, I think it does create a, a harder floor on on the policy rate. Um, you know, if they're not cutting the deposit rate now, given this shock, and given the fact that even before the shock, they were already revising down their core inflation projection by another tenth at the end of the forecast horizon. Um, it does raise real questions about what the hurdle is for cutting rates uh, even further. Lagarde uh, tried to say that they are not at the reversal rate, but never really explained why they chose not to, to act on rates at this time. Now, the, the the thing that I mentioned earlier, which is that the the signal on rates is a bit mixed, is because they did open up a new tool on rates. So with the TLTROs, the fact that they are now offering banks funding at below the deposit rate does um, create a new new policy tool which which could be used uh, again in future. But given the macro backdrop, they should have moved on that and in addition on the policy rate itself. So, so let me um, uh, jump in here. And also the message you get from Lagarde is that she really wants fiscal policy yeah. to do stuff here, right? She mentioned that on multiple occasions. Uh, where do we stand on on the possibility of getting stimulus and and how quick you know is there a, a real problem of getting stimulus t- in a timely enough fashion to prevent some of the stress points from really uh, breaking here in the euro area well i mean in, on the fiscal side i mean i mean governments are responding in their own ways so it's it's not uh, particularly coordinated at this point um if you look at what the German government is doing and thinking about at the moment, it's really about putting in place uh, uh, buffers. So, for example, the short-time work uh, subsidy scheme is effective in uh, providing a tool to, to help firms that are seeing a big fall in demand. Um, it is a tool that is available even for very, very small firms, which is on employees. So it is an effective uh, backstop mechanism. There are also discussions about, uh, you know, guarantees, credit support, and so on. Um, It's it's not adding up to a big stimulus. What would you estimate right now the overall regional stimulus to be for 2020? Kind of give me your best guess. I know there's a lot of moving parts here. I mean, the the Germans, uh, you know, in terms of the the new measures they've announced so far, that's still below 0.1% of GDP. Um, they were easing fiscal policy anyway, um, so that, that 
goes on top of that. Um, there's always uncertainty on the German side about how much they actually implement. So perhaps we're talking about four to five tenths uh, this year, uh, max at this point. Um, in the region as a whole, things are moving a bit more quickly because of uh, Italy doing more. Um, you know, again, we're talking about something a bit below 0.5 perhaps. Okay, so let's let's turn to, to Alan here. Um, it does feel this week like the UK did basically what you'd like to see, right? It, it came in, it eased, it delivered fiscal stimulus, it delivered coordinated action on the on the regulatory and on the targeted side. I mean, the UK is, it is an island, but uh, it's not really an island in the global economy. Um, but should we actually be looking at this constructively? Is the UK kind of the right model for what policymakers uh, should be doing um, across the, um, the globe at this point? Yeah, I think the scale of the package that we got was was close to expectations. Um, but the real positive, I guess, was the, the level of coordination that we saw um, from UK policymakers with a number of different measures all announced in, in the space of one day spanning the, you know, the fiscal, the monetary and the regulatory decisions. And I think, you know, you can try and add up the significance of each of those individually, but it's also fair to say um, that these are mutually reinforcing. And when they're all working together, um, that the, the whole package uh, in total is, is sort of greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's right. What's your, what's your view about UK growth here? How, how hard do we get hit in the second quarter? We've got GDP falling 3% um, in the second quarter. And really, the assumption that we've made there is, is not so distinctive from the assumptions that we've made elsewhere in Europe. We've we put the Italian example um, uh, to one side and then made assumptions about what we think is going to be going on with the rest of Europe. Um, almost a sort of belated response to, to what you see going on in Italy with a lag of a couple of weeks or so. Um, so we've made pretty much the same assumptions in the UK, which implies that in terms of, you know, the, the virus count, things are going to get uh, worse over the next couple of weeks. And we'll see, you know, a greater element of restrictions and fear, which influences and feeds back onto, onto consumer and business behavior. So let me ask each of you, maybe we'll end on this note um, and start with Greg, because Greg's the one who's, who's disappointed uh, what from policymakers in Europe would you like to see right now? If there was something that you could get them to do, if you could have a conversation with policymakers, what would you tell them is the most important thing for them to do right now? Greg? Um, I mean, I think certainly uh, acting more decisively in terms of absorbing the, uh, the, the virus outbreak uh, in terms of guarantees, um, and, and giving the ECB more to work with in terms of reinforcing that uh, with with monetary policy. Um, and then I think it would also be very positive to have a, a real discussion about the fiscal uh, rules, um, especially in Germany with this uh, adherence to the Black Zero objective, which makes no economic sense. Uh, the constitutional debt break, which makes a bit more sense, but, um, you know, is, is very... Uh, focused on even getting the debt down to zero percent so there, there's kind of a debate to be had about that um, and it is limiting uh, investment alan anything you're you got on a wish list um 
I think you know, one of the issues that we discussed is, you know, why is the Bank of England not prepared to, to go negative on rates? And there's been some pretty clear signals from, um, well, not just Carney, but the incoming governor as well, Bailey, that they, they don't want to go there for, for the time being. But I think we've got an opportunity here in the UK because there is a facility that the Bank of England put in place in 2016 uh, the term funding uh, scheme, which was also unveiled again yesterday, which is exactly designed to um, negative impact of lower rates on on their profit margins and is definitely a facility that the Bank of England used to take rates closer to zero back in 2016. And I, I don't see any reason why that same facility couldn't be used um, to help policy rate go go negative so it doesn't look as though they're going to go there but i think they have infrastructure to do so and, and that would be on my uh, wish list i think malcolm i'm going to give you the last word credit guarantees that that to me is really where the region needs to go and as as greg hinted i think that this is this is an instance where all of the flexibility clauses which are written into European laws about the stability pact etc are going to be tested because I think uh, I think really what you've got to do is you've got to say to individual member states you know get get in there and make sure that banks can lend and that there's cheap credit guarantees available uh, and if you charge for those guarantees and you make them cheap if this if your your attempts to deal with this crisis work you'll probably make money on them it's the right thing to do. So that's that's what I'd like to see. Okay. I think we'll end there. Um, lots of reasons for concern, lots of issues to deal with in terms of how the policy response is going to build here. And I think some important lessons to be taken from this conversation as we look uh, to where the Fed goes next and, and what U.S. policy does uh, more broadly, as well as what the nature of this uh, crisis turns out to be as it moves from Europe uh, towards uh, the Americas. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for more episodes of At Any Rate, J.P. Morgan's Global Research Podcast Series. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please read J.P. Morgan research reports related to its contents for more information, including important disclosures. Copyright 2020, J.P. Morgan Chase & Co., all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 12th of March, 2020.